Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. And we're here at the Daily Planet building. I guess that's the appropriate thing to say. And we have a full <laughs> studio uh, uh, of uh, guests. We have uh, a few common-sense Democrats, a few common-sense Republicans, and we have uh, one guest guest uh, who's just a businesswoman. And we got with us, uh, uh, with us, would you identify yourself? Sure. I'm Heather Mulligan, President and CEO of the Business Council of New York State. And you represent 3,000? 3, 3,200-ish. Oh, it's going up. Yeah. Wow. 3,200 businesses in New York. And, you know, later on, we have Governor Youngkin on, and Governor Youngkin is going to say, come on down to Virginia, mm-hmm. and we're going to give you a better deal versus New York State beating you up every day. Yeah, he's in a competition with the governor of Florida. Well, yes, so, you know, 484,000 uh, New Yorkers have left consumer-wise. Uh, how many businesses have closed up? Um, well, I can say this. For the first time ever, Florida now has more businesses than New York State. Oh, my God. Wow. And uh, I think... Well, I understand they're having hearings and they want to chase some more out. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's the case. I think right. there's, there's just some folks we'll who... Will voluntarily leave. Yeah, I think they don't understand how the economy works. Well... You know, maybe they didn't go to business school. I mean, I was a college dropout, so not a dropout, but I didn't finish. Uh, we have uh, Judge Weinberg here, and his reputation, his claim to fame was, uh, if your time was up in jail, maybe he'll let you out. Uh, Ed Cox, <laughs> 10 years uh, chairman. Ed Cox, 10 years chairman of uh, the GOP in New York State, and he's chairman again. We're back. We're back. And Governor David Patterson, one common sense uh, Democrat that that believes in common sense. Governor, it's great to be here, John. But now that Ed came back, maybe I'll come back. Why not? <laughs> All right. You know, could you imagine if if you and Ed Cox were negotiating? Maybe we have a better state. We certainly did at the time. Yeah. You got our vote. You got our vote. You got our vote. Yeah, definitely. The governor was also chairman of his party when I was chairman. We made we did some good stuff, didn't we? We need more yeah, of that. Absolutely. By the way, guys, uh, John, I want to talk about this blowing. Uh, this is amazing. It's a 21-year-old basically gamer who also is a National Guard, active duty. He is the guy who's responsible for basically one of the biggest leaks in American history. Turns out to be a guy that was in a chat room and was sharing these top secret documents that have put so many of our allies in jeopardy. And guess who found out, John, about it? The New York Times and the Washington Post tracked him down before even the FBI did. And how sad is that about our national security, that it's some 21-year-old guy who's basically an IT guy, wasn't even an intel guy. I mean, this is amazing, John. It's crazy. And then the New York Times put a 19-year-old on him and discovered him. Yeah, they put a game. They put a guy who was like a hacker guy. It takes a 19-year-old to catch a 19-year-old. Isn't that funny? And but how sad is that? As we're dealing with national security, scary. Well, we got a special guest on today, uh, and uh, there's so many, so much news going on. And this morning, there was news that uh, uh, President Vladimir Putin. Uh, was dying or whatever. Yeah, wasn't and, you doing know, well. And, and a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Yuri uh, 
uh, Feinberg Arn, uh, who uh, his brother is very close to uh, Vladimir Putin. So I said, let me call Yuri, find out what the other side of the story is. So we're going to get both sides of the story. Yuri, welcome to uh, Katz and Cosby. And, uh, uh, you know, you could have a million people listening to you, including uh, the KGB. So be careful. Okay. Thank you, John. Uh, yeah, I also read it. Uh, Daily, Daily Mail is not really a highly respected. Yes, it was in the Daily. It was in the Daily Mail newspaper. A story you, about you, Vladimir Putin. UK, but you also have to take into consideration where the original news comes from. It came from Ukraine. All right, it lost between the lines, but it came from Ukraine. So it it makes me double skeptical. Okay, from Understood. what I know. Okay, from what I know, I mean, it's all wishful thinking. Uh, we all remember the, the uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. We all remember all of this, and and this is from the same from the same area of of the, of the Pentagon uh, uh, wishful thinking. Now, what what uh, Putin receives is a Botox injections. And I know him personally. I know what his face looks like, and I know when he gets it when I when I see the, the newsreel. So, or he is on, 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 the, on the Facebook occasionally. They put some videos. I could tell if he receives Botox injection, he usually he usually looks a little puffy. Okay. Now, according to Daily Mail, the operation was supposed to happen on, on March 5th. So there was Russians were supposed to throw the war, and it would be over. We're already in what? Mid-April, nothing happened. April 12th. Right. April 13th. 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 My God. <laughs> Time flies. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, uh, it, it's, I mean from, from what I know, it's, it's not true. He's healthy. He's actually a very physical guy. He's a world-class judo practitioner. Uh, and uh, he's a very physical and healthy guy. So uh, all, all these rumors are... Uh, from what I know, not the reality. Well, Yuri Feinberg, uh, thank you. And I understand uh, you have a book that uh, uh, you have out. Tell us about the book. The the the, the, the book, the, the Child of Gulag. I actually grew up in, 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 in the Gulag behind the barbed wire as a child because my mother was adopted. She was treated political prisoners. And so as a child between the age of 4 to 10, I lived with, with with the prisoners, with with, with wild wild animals, and with, with security guards, and so on and so forth. So that's why the book is called "The Child of Gulag" because I was the only child. Well, after that, I, I came back to Saint Petersburg, and I'm nine years older than Putin, and he was in playing in in the courtyard. We lived in the same building. His mother and my mother were friends uh, for a couple of years, and. Uh, that's why we we have for this connection. You know, Yuri, this is Rita Cosby. I, you know, I'm so fascinated to hear your story because so few people know Vladimir Putin. And, and your history here is amazing with your mother. You mentioned your brother. Um, tell us about who is he and, and how do you see his thinking now, given everything that's going on with the war? Okay. From what I know, the... The, you observe the child's behavior. Let's say five, six, seven-year-old boy playing in the in the backyard, and you can see the personality because basically the personality of the adult is what what you see at five or six-year-old boy with some maybe little changes. From what I remember, he was the boy who would never apologize. 
He would never say that he is wrong, and you cannot change his mind. Very tough as nails, very stubborn, and very bright. Even at that time, he, he was very intelligent. That's my memory. So when you're talking about the war, and then someone's going to persuade him and, and ask him to apologize and withdraw the troops, I seriously doubt that that's going to happen. Well, thank you, uh, Yuri, and uh, we'll be talking to you again real soon. And uh, uh, God bless you, and uh, uh, don't go to any buildings higher than the second floor. <laughs> All right. Thank you, John. Be careful, Yuri. Thank, thank you. Yuri. Yeah, right. okay. Take care, guys. Take care. And uh, that was uh, interesting. Yeah, uh, really fascinating. Yeah. You rarely hear, John, from somebody who knows Putin that listen, well. We, we, you don't know, you know, uh, this is a disclaimer. You know, we can't swear by it. But to me, he sounds legitimate, but you can't swear by it. Yeah, and he says Let's his brother, right, is the godfather, yeah. right? Uh, we have Governor Youngkin from Virginia coming on in the next few minutes. Let's take, let's take a, a break first now. And uh, that way we have the full time for Governor Youngkin. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're back and uh, we're waiting for Governor Youngkin from uh, Virginia to call. But I have uh, some additional information here. I understand this morning... Uh, Sid Rosenberg uh, heard a rumor, and I heard the same rumor. So uh, me and Sid were in sync, sync with us uh, that uh, uh, Pat Lynch is retiring from the PBA and that he the rumor was he's going to go to work for uh, Governor Hochul. Uh, and I understand from his people right now uh, that it's not true. Uh, and he, he says it's not true. So... Uh, on behalf of WABC, if it's not true, we apologize. And uh, Sid will apologize in the morning, too. Well, uh, one thing uh, we don't want to apologize for is obviously how much we love New York and we hate that all these businesses are moving down to places like Virginia and elsewhere. And joining us now here on the Cats and Cosby show is the great governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. And, uh, Governor, we're so happy to have you here on Cats and Cosby. And, uh, by the way, it was so lovely seeing you for lunch. Uh, a number of us had the pleasure of seeing you when you're here in New York. You got to come in studio next time you're back here. It's wonderful to have you with us, Governor. Rita, thank you for having me. John, thank you for having me. It was great to be with you a, a few weeks back. And, you know, we've been busy today in Virginia. We did a groundbreaking for the only U.S. manufacturing facility that Lego is going to build in the United States. It's a billion-dollar investment, 1,700 jobs, and it's going right here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and it's an exciting time to be building business here. And, by the way, my mother's Danish, so when I saw Lego, you know, it's, I was like, this is great. Um, Governor, why are so many people coming down to Virginia? And, uh, obviously, we want to keep people here in New York, too, but what, what is making it so appealing? You're doing an amazing job drawing people there um, economically, uh, politically, what's the reason? Well, Rita, thank you for uh, for seeing what's happening because we've been working hard since I got in here 15 months ago uh, of getting Virginia moving. So we've been reducing taxes. We had a $4 billion tax reduction package last year, and I'm going back for another billion now. Uh, we've been we've been investing in education so that our kids can get the the best opportunity to be successful in the world. We've been investing in crime reduction so we can make our neighborhoods safe. 
And we've got a, 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 a complete transformation plan in behavioral health that we're pressing forward with so that Virginians can get the kind of help that they need. It's a combination of making sure that Virginians can keep more, more of their hard-earned money in their pockets. It's drawing businesses here because of the great workforce that we have that create the next round of opportunities. And I just think it's, a, it's a, all of a sudden a moment where people around the country are recognizing that Virginia is an awesome place to live and work and raise a family, and I'm really excited about the momentum that we have. Well, you certainly have momentum. The state certainly has momentum. Everybody, we are talking to the governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. Ed Cox, I understand you got a question. Uh, governor, you, the Republicans only have one house of the legislature. The other party has the other house. How did you accomplish all that in that situation? Well, I, I, am, I am pleased to say, Ed, thank you for the question, that uh, there's still room for common sense on a lot of things. And uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a handful of uh, Democrats in our Senate who come with us and help us get stuff done. You know, unfortunately, there's not enough. And uh, we've had some, uh, you know, a few frustrations just yesterday in, in what we call our veto session, where I get to send in amendments on bills. Uh, I was stunned that the that the progressive uh, Democrats who control our Senate would not vote to block big tech from siphoning and marketing off the data from our kids. And so they voted for big tech over our kids. I couldn't believe it because we had a bill that would protect the information of our children and re- require parental consent before they could set up certain accounts. And they blocked it. They also they also blocked the the mandatory notification of victims when we're working through a parole process. And for those folks that follow Virginia, um, we had a real problem under the previous administration, Democrat led, that uh, basically allowed the parole board to get out of control and just let people let people on parole without following any kind of process. And so we have fixed that. But I want to make sure that victims understand and hear when there's a parole process that might uh, let the person who committed the crime against them back out. And they voted no against that. Um, we did have some great wins uh, this year in our legislative session, protecting Virginia farmland from being purchased by uh, bad actors, by companies that uh, are connected with the Chinese communist government. Um, we had great workforce reform. We, we passed through a big chunk of our all-American, all-the-above energy plan. And so we had some really good wins, but there's some areas where Virginians are still being held back by politics that is being placed over people by our Democrat Senate. Governor Youngkin, John Katsimatidis, uh, I understand uh, you are advocating uh, to all the businesses in the North, come on down. And with us in the studio today is uh, Heather Mulligan, who's in who's the business counsel in New York State, and represents 3,200 businesses, and I, she looks worried. <laughs> I'm very worried. I've got competition between Florida and Virginia trying to take our businesses. Um, and I have to tell you, Governor. Um, well, they're, they're treating them better than they're being treated in New York. They uh, they certainly can make that case. And, and I'm, I'm uh, good friends with the head of the Virginia Chamber, Barry Duvall, and the head of the Florida Chamber, Mark Wilson, both of whom – uh, compare notes with me on how they're going to try and steal business from New York because our legislators, not all of them, but many of them are hostile to business. Well, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about your legislatures because, <laughs> you know, you know no, you're not. Businesses make decisions every day. Where am I going to be? And, you know, they, ha- they have a responsibility to to build a reliable future that 
is in a geography where their employees can have a great life, where they're going to continue to have a great workforce, where they are optimizing um, their economic models. And, you know, I think this is one of these very straightforward moments where competition is real. Listen, Florida is trying to get businesses. North Carolina is trying to get businesses. Tennessee, Texas, uh, Arizona. And I know exactly where we need to be in order to compete. And uh, I think we've really tipped into the winning side of these things where I've been very proud to be able to say that not only um, do I want manufacturing to come home to the United States, I want to come home to Virginia. And uh, we're winning. But, you know, the reality is it's got to be a team effort. And when it's, come to, when it's come to economic development efforts, I've been able to bring our divided legislature with us. And we signed a bill today in order to provide um, a, a great incentive package for the Lego group, which is consistent with what they promised us they're going to do, invest a billion dollars hire 1,761 people into the Commonwealth of Virginia. Wow. And, uh, and that is something that uh, we as a governor and a legislator are willing to work together to make happen. And everybody, we are talking to Governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, here on Cats and Cosby. And, and I know that the governor, one of the big things, our education system is now, I think, number 56 in the world. And I, I know the governor is very much concerned about the education system, and I think that's one of the points he got elected on. You want to talk about that, Governor? Yeah, well, John, at the end of the day, I watched our, our uh, you know, leadership in previous administrations continue to dilute away and lower standards in our schools. And sadly, Virginia's kids met those standards, and we saw it uh, really highlighted with the data that came out at, after the pandemic where – our kids had dropped uh, the largest in the nation on the national scorecard test, the NAEP tests in fourth grade in reading and in math. And we've now seen uh, slides in SAT scores that were taken from last spring's SAT. So for the previous year, and we've got to stop this. And so we have, we have uh, charged our, our department of education to put Virginia back at the top of expectations to have the highest standards that would define proficiency. We had the largest budget last year to invest in education in Virginia's history. Meanwhile, we cut taxes by $4 billion. And we're working hard to provide multiple pathways in schools. We have tax-driven scholarships for folks that want to opt out of the public school system. But within the public school system, we've launched a whole innovation school system through our lab school initiative that's providing alternative pathways for parents and students to pick specific uh, education opportunities in healthcare and in manufacturing and in STEM uh, to move to move directly into those fields right after right after high school. Really important opportunity for us to distinguish not just Virginia, but I think America. And I think finally, of course, is we think parents should be not just at the table, but have to be at the head of the table. And so um, we've worked to empower parents in Virginia so that they can make these most important decisions for their children, as opposed to elected politicians and bureaucrats. Yeah. And boy, you made a lot of headlines with that, uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin. Um, we're thrilled to have you here again on Cats and Cosby. You also have a huge trip coming up, um, going over to Asia. You're doing Taiwan, Japan, South Korea. Uh, Taiwan and Japan, by the way, most people may not realize, I know you know this, are two of Virginia's top export destinations. Talk about the importance, because, boy, Taiwan, of course, has been in the headlines a lot of late. 
Yeah, I'm very excited about this trip uh, because, uh, first of all, we do, we do export a lot, and we just announced record agricultural exports to foreign markets. Um, we increased them 25% in one year, uh, over $5 billion, and so I get to go see some of our customers, which is exciting. Um, but this is, a, this is an incredible opportunity for us to further and deepen the relationships with critical supply chain partners in trusted supply chains. And there are so many sectors, pharmaceuticals, semiconductors, auto manufacturing, um, the future in electric vehicles, batteries, and, and solar panels, and wind turbines that come from these important uh, uh, Asian partners in Taipei, in Tokyo, in Seoul. And I'm going to go, I'm gonna go uh, present to them why Virginia is the best place for, they, for, for them to come, just like we did with Lego. And I'm excited about the opportunity. There is a giant repatriation of these critical supply chains, supply chains that are at the heart of our national security in a go-forward basis. And these trusted partners are the kinds of partners that I want in Virginia. And this is going to be a great trip, and I'm really looking forward to it. Governor, it's uh, Chad Richard Weinberg. Good to talk to you again. I want to switch gears a little bit. I know you were trying to get legislation through that led victims of crime ability to know what was going on at the parole board hearings and the ability to speak. And why was that turned down? I just don't understand that. I, I can't understand it either. Uh, you know, when I came in, one of the, one of the big uh, uh, clear uh, crises that had been created by the previous administration um, was just a runaway parole board that had violated all of the standards and rules. And in fact, our own attorney general did a full investigation and found that they had violated uh, their own policies and law. We fired the entire parole board on day one and uh, brought in a whole new group of folks and have really reestablished um, a dependable process. I'm all for second chances. I just want to make sure that we are following the law. Um, one of the things that I do believe is that victims should be notified um, when, they're, when, when the person that uh, committed the crime against them is up for parole and they should be brought in as part of that process. For whatever reason, the progressive Democrats that control, control our Senate disagree. I don't understand it. And in fact, is, it's counter to everything that we, we believe uh, in, in, a, in a system that is really set up to protect our victims. And I'm going to go back and get this again next year, and we're going to continue to protect victims while we do believe the second chances are something that everyone should, should have an opportunity to get. Governor, uh, you uh, you are f fixing education. You're fixing uh, so many other problems. Give us we have about two minutes left. Give us one more problem you're fixing. So one of one of our biggest challenges is behavioral health, and we have a a crisis in Virginia and across the nation where uh, we're we're seeing we're seeing our young people um, really really stricken by depression. We're seeing it translate into self harm and harming others, and uh, it is. It's, it's truly, truly heartbreaking. And this is a place that we can design a better system. And uh, that we're, we're putting forth a transformational process in Virginia to take a big step this year to deliver the right help right when someone needs it. And that is the day they have a challenge. This is going to be a capacity build so that we have support in schools. We have support that's mobile, that can go to where people are. We can, we can take care of people as they're transitioning back into their, their lives but not, aren't re are not quite ready to go home. Um, this is a critical moment for us, and Virginia is going to lead on this. We are going to have the best behavioral health system in America so that we can provide the support that Virginians need and also address the fact that 
the violence that's resulting from this behavioral health crisis is debilitating. I'm excited about this. I'm passionate about it. The first lady, my wife, is really leading this with me. And uh, Virginia is going to lead the nation when it comes to supporting behavioral health for our Virginians. Uh, Governor, uh, you're a one-term governor. That's the way Virginia is. Many, many rumors going around. You're a businessman. uh, You know how to fix businesses. There's rumors going around that you are considering running for president of the United States. Well, John, I am (laughs) focused on Virginia, and uh, I I am so humbled when when uh, when someone raises this topic. You know, 40 years ago, I was washing dishes and taking out trash uh, down in Virginia Beach because I needed to. And I had my dream job in business and and, uh, felt a real calling to step into public service. And I do think that the attention that Virginia has gotten um, is uh, really representative of the fact that, yes, we took a blue state and and, uh, won. But on top of that, the common sense solutions we're bringing to these kitchen table issues work. They work. And I'm just proud of that. My, my, my eyes are on Virginia this year. I'm, I've, got a, I've got big elections in our Senate and our House. Our midterms are this year. And, and I'm looking forward to Virginians really voting with confidence that the future that we have uh, architected is one that will make their lives better. It's the best place to live, work, and raise a family. And uh, I'm excited to continue to work at it this year. So that's not a no. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll ask you again in a few months. Uh, we had... Uh, um, uh, uh, Rona McDaniel on. She's starting the debates in August, August in Milwaukee, and we'll we'll check your travel schedule. Yeah, and Governor, yeah. wonderful to have you here. We are so honored to have you with us here in Katz and Cosby, and just terrific what you're doing in Virginia. Well, I so appreciate being with you, and uh, Rita and John particularly. Thank you for being part of our lunch that we had recently. And I'll just leave you with this: I'm not writing a book. Well, you're welcome on any time. By the way, in the studio with us listening is Governor Patterson from New York uh, and uh, Ed Cox, New York State Chairman. And we have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg and uh, Heather uh, Mulligan, Mulligan, (laughs) uh, the head of the Business Council. And we all thank you for coming on. And God bless you and God bless America. Yeah, thank you. God bless you, too. Thank you. Thank you, Governor. Let's take a We're going to Lou Dobbs and hear how the financial markets are doing, and then we're going to come back. And uh, who are we having, Rita? we got Steve Forbes talking about Steve electric Forbes. vehicles. There's so much to talk about with Steve Forbes. Stay tuned. And after Steve Forbes, Heather, she's got a turn at bat, and she's going to talk about all the things going on in New York State. And Heather... We better keep some of those businesses because I don't know who's going to pay these taxes. Well, if we all leave, we don't have to worry about it. Oh, don't <laughs> say that. we got to keep them here. <laughs> Stay tuned. You know, the number, by the way, real fast, 27% of the people are thinking about leaving in the next five years. I know. The Siena, Siena poll came out yesterday, and 30% uh, don't want to re- – or only 30% want to retire here. Well, why, why retire wow. here? My God. Let's go to that break. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're back, and it's been an exciting half hour, and the next half hour will be even more exciting. Is that possible? 
Well, I mean, you know, I, I would try to have Khrushchev on, but he died a few years ago. Oh, well, you know, and then Saddam Hussein and who else, right? Let's try, whoever. Yeah. Bring him back. John Khrushchev we is... Got, we got Rabbi Protection to bring him back. He John might Khrushchev be able to. Is, is not dead. He had a treatment, and he's a little puffy, but he's still okay. <laughs> oh, he had Botox. He had Botox. He had okay. Botox. Well, with us right now, uh, and there's so many things happening in our economy, and... and uh, they're trying to destroy our economy, and we have uh, Malcolm, not Malcolm, Forbes. Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes. Malcolm was your know, your dad, and Malcolm was a your dad was a real good guy. I knew him. Uh, he had me aboard his uh, his boat. And uh, Steve, you miss your dad too. I do indeed. Even though uh, he uh, died uh, over thirty years ago, uh, his uh, presence was uh, strong, and uh, his spirit still lives. So, a uh, remarkable man. And Once, I'm, glad you got, I'm glad you got a chance to go on the boat. Uh, let let me tell you something. You know what I believe in? If we talk about him, he's never really dead. Very, very good point. I'm going to have to remember that. Yes, yes. Now, there's so many things happening. Uh, I saw you on Larry Kudlow before uh, talking about the EPA. I, I, I saw you uh, uh, talking about AM radio. Where do you want to begin? I mean, they're trying to destroy every part of our economy. Yeah, well, let's start with AM radio. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, they want to destroy it is that's the one place uh, where uh, conservative voices uh, still hold sway. So uh, there's a political angle. Yes, AM radio interferes, uh, get, gets magnetic uh, interference, but as you know, that is uh, solvable in automobiles uh, if they want to do it. And uh, so EVs should be able to have AM. And you know well, uh, FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, depends on getting the national public warning system out to the country. And seven heads of the former FEMA, seven former heads of FEMA have said, we must preserve AM radio, but it's under attack for political reasons, for uh, crazy cost reasons. And so uh, I wish our side would get uh, even more louder in defending it. You know, I'm um, Steve. This is Rita Cosby. Wonderful to have you here, Steve. We love having you on. Um, you know, Ed Markey, also Democrat, is also yes. part of saying keep AM radio. Uh, there needs to be a bigger effort, even especially from Democrats too, who realize that it's it's a it's a lifeline. It's like your your blood in your veins, especially when there's an emergency. Yes, and uh, the, that's why FEMA, which knows it's got to get the, that warning out, make the, that national public warning system is dependent on AM radio reaching all parts of the country. So uh, it's essential uh, for. Uh, Real public discourse, central, great for sports, and uh, absolutely essential for emergency. And so uh, it should be preserved. And that's why it was so disturbing the other day that Ford Motor announced that they were not only going to get rid of it for their EVs, but uh, for all their models, virtually all of their models. Absolutely. And so, everybody. Uh, the, the consumers have to resist that. Say no. We're talking about well, the great What I also here. announced, I think we made it have at least maybe a thousand company cars between all our companies. I announced I am giving an executive order for all our companies not to buy any Ford cars. Absolutely right. And, uh, and uh, there's another factor at work here, the dashboard. By the way, the, the, CEO, the, C- the CEO of Anheuser-Busch 
and the CEO of, of Ford should talk to each other because Anheuser-Busch has only oh, has lost over five billion in sales. Okay, yes, right. since that whole uh, the whole uh, Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light controversy. Yeah, well, on, on uh, one one thing on the AM is the auto companies want subscriptions on dashboards. You know, uh, they they already have a serious uh, XM radio. And uh, and so uh, they want to uh, have uh, why why provide AM and F, uh, AM and FM radio for free for, no, for two hundred dollars? That's all the radio costs. Two hundred dollars. And Governor Patterson, you got yeah. a question for Steve Forbes? Go ahead, Gov. Uh, I was just wondering, Steve, if you remember that this attack on AM radio didn't start in just the past six months. This was going on in the sixties and seventies when most of the AM radio stations switched from music to talk radio. That's right. That's right. And uh, AM looked like it was doomed, but uh, found a vibrant life and became uh, bigger and more important than ever before. Well, I'll tell you what. um, When I was growing up, there just wasn't the technology for me to be able to get news or to read the newspaper. Without AM radio, I wouldn't be sitting here. Now, a lot of people probably would like that, but... Without AM radio, can we raise I our hands? Gov, can we raise our hands? I on won't that even one? notice. Go right ahead. <laughs> Judge Weinberg, you got a question okay. for Steve Forbes. Steve, it's Richard Weinberg. Welcome back. I'm very concerned Good about these EP, these EPA rules. I think this is central planning at its worst. I think that the technology is not there to make it viable. The economics are destroying it. And whatever happened to the system where consumers made the choices rather than government telling me what kind of car I can have? Would and you comment on that? You're talking about the electric vehicles that I'm, came out, of course, with the, the push for electric the, vehicles. Right. The EPA is going to, by a gimmick. By, by, by diktat. Right, by a gimmick. It's, it's not. It should Soviet be Union. Of course. It's not even... They don't even have the courage to do this by uh, federal legislation. They're doing this by an administrative regulation. And they should sue and go after them because I think this can be set aside, and they should do that. They should. Uh, there are two avenues of attack. I don't think people fully realize the magnitude of what the EPA is trying to do in effect nationalizing and destroying, first they're destroying the oil and gas industry, <laughs> and then taking over, virtually taking over the auto industry, the vehicle industry. And uh, so there are two fronts of attack. As you know, the the Supreme Court last year ruled in West Virginia versus EPA that any big regulation that has a sizable impact has got to go through Congress. So uh, they, they, they should uh, sue on that side. And the Republicans should lead the charge. No money for this rule, period. And, uh, and then let people realize this is an absolute uh, Marxist, communist, socialist assault. Consumers should make their choice. They don't want EVs. As you pointed out, Judge, the, the technology is not there. And to do it would rip up the earth 40 times more lithium. And yet they block mining here in this country. So it's preposterous. It's pro-China. China loves this because they have the minerals needed for uh, these EVs. So it's bad all around. And, Steve, we have in the studio with us uh, Heather Mulligan. She's the president and CEO of the Business Council of New York, representing 3,200 businesses. And she's afraid that she's going to lose a lot of companies that uh, Governor Youngkin before said, come on down. And when we had uh, uh, people from Florida, they said, come on down. Heather, what do you say? Well, first, I want to say hi. And if you remember me, you spoke at our annual meeting at the Sagamore several years back. I think uh, 
same meeting that uh, former Senator uh, Majority Leader Joe Bruno was at. So it was a, it was a great yep. event. Um, but, yeah, obviously, we're very concerned about the business climate here in New York. And, you know, it's sort of parallel to what you see the EPA trying to do. New York State is, of course, trying to do the same kind of thing and not filling people in on what the actual costs are going to be of their proposals. So it's a little scary. The other thing, by the way, by the way, the other thing going on, we have so many friends that all of a sudden are are, are saying that the on the MTA on congestion pricing, yes, we're going to support congestion pricing. It's good. I want full disclosure how much money they were they received from the MTA. Okay. Yeah, that is crazy. That's right. We even had um, we had uh, the New Jersey governor who said it's not a good idea. It's not a good you idea. Know, the Democrat. The city of New York cannot sustain itself as it stands. It's a, it's a nail in the coffin. Exactly right. It's a nail in the coffin. The city is in trouble. We need to bring people in here. The consumers need to be able to, to shop here. They're not going to come here. Commuters are not going to be able to, to work here. There's a tax on commuters, and it's by an agency that misspends all of the time. So, Your Honor, is the allegation that people took money to take the position in favor of, uh, you know, the, the where the It doesn't to go make right. any sense that these people are supporting uh, congestion pricing. It makes no sense. Yeah, other why than, would you do that? Then there was a uh, there was a payoff somewhere. Well, you know what they say: um, <clears throat> never ascribe a motive to what incompetence would explain. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's a good one. Governor, I'm a, I'll write that decision for you. I agree with you. Steve will let you respond to that one. Go ahead, Steve Forbes. What do you think? Well, simply an example of the peculiar governance in New York. Dude, some other uh, blue states is they do everything possible to make things worse. And uh, New York was once the Empire State. They still use the phrase, but it's a shriveling. And uh, because it's hostile to business. And uh, you talked many times about the crazy no bail law and what that's done to public safety. And amazingly, the legislature won't change it. People are getting killed. And uh, you see it on regulations on businesses. Very, very difficult to survive in the city right now. And the quality of life is going down. You saw that poll today, uh, over 27 percent of people in New York. want to leave in the next five years. They just don't see a future. They don't like the quality of life. Well, Steve Forbes, uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for speaking out for common sense. And and that's very important. And uh, we're going to have to take a break right now. And we want want to have you on more often, Steve. I mean, you make some a lot of common sense. And uh, look forward to it. And thank you, John, for uh, fighting the good fight. And especially on AM radio. And you too, Steve. You too. (laughs) And we're gonna take a we're gonna take a break and when we come back, we have Harriet Mulligan. Heather Heather Mulligan. Heather Mulligan. Heather Heather Mulligan that's gonna have her turn at bat. Let's take that break. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on seventy seven WABC. And welcome back to Cats and Cosby, a huge study that came out. This is Siena College Research saying a shocking 27% of New Yorkers are planning to leave the Empire State in the next five years. 30% saying they wish they lived somewhere else. Well, continuing our discussion now, we have in studio Heather Mulligan. She is the president and CEO 
of the Business Council of New York State, representing 3,200 businesses. Heather, what's going on? Are you surprised by this number or not surprised? Well, I'm not surprised. Um, New York has the heaviest tax burden out of any other state in the country. And we have a legislature that seems to not believe the numbers that, you know, half a million people left the state uh, last year. Uh, 68,000 New Yorkers actually went so far as to change their driver's licenses from New York to Florida. Florida actually did a calculation that represents about $6.8 billion in income that left the state. So these were not people who, you know, don't have businesses or don't work. Um, and yet, if you talk to our uh, many of, of our legislators, they will tell you, well, no, it doesn't matter. We can keep raising taxes. And just to give you a flavor, New York State, the per capita bur- tax burden is $20,000 per person, per person, right? Wow. So that includes babies and, and people who don't work uh, in Florida, which has, and this kind of makes sense, a uh, couple million people more than New York 20, now. 22 million. So, versus uh, 20. Right. So they have a couple million more than us. Their state budget is half of ours and their state tax burden is half of ours. And by the way, California isn't 20,000. California is only about 16. Texas is about nine. Um, you know, we're we are losing because we are just crushing businesses and we're hostile. We don't like people who make money, who create GDP and value for the state. And in New York, we have the highest GDP industry, financial services, and you can see how welcoming our legislature is to financial services. I mean, they are overtly hostile. So it's no surprise that you have the governor of Florida coming up here saying, hey, Miami, we're going to make it Wall Street South. And why don't you come Miami, Miami, they want to make it the international uh, banking uh, facility for North and South America. Yep, New York is hands down the financial services capital of the world. But we're not doing anything to, to hang on to that. Jamie Dimon, the, the other day, there was some revelations that uh, uh, they got more. J.P. Morgan has more employees in Texas than they do in New York. Yeah. And that's not the only company that has moved significant headcount out of New York State. But to hear our legislators, they say, hey, look, there was there was the pandemic and we have more millionaires than we did before. Well, guess what? That's that's not the same thing as millionaire earners. In fact, New York and Illinois are the only two states in the country to lose millionaire earners during the pandemic. So tell us about like some of the things that are driving them out. I mean, obviously, you talked about taxes and all that. What about crime? Too? Crime, I taxes mean, and affordability were the big three that were mentioned in the Siena survey. Um, you know, and so again, affordability. So you want to tackle affordability? You can't do it by raising the cost of energy, by raising the cost of everything that moves, um, and you can't you can't do it by putting up policies that are are counterproductive and discourage people from investing. Let's add congestion pricing, right? I mean, right. come on! I mean, it's I, I so mean, crazy. The basic rule is you tax things you want less of. In New York, we tax jobs, we tax people coming into the city. Okay, does that make sense? If you want people to come back here and spend money, you're going to make it more expensive. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it sure doesn't. Judge Weinberg? Well, Heather, what I'm very concerned about is this so-called Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. Yes. The cost, if that is not modified, and it was an attempt by Governor Hochul to raise the issue during the budget process, then she quickly backed off. The problem is that they don't change the way they do the calculations, and we're the only state that uses a a 20-year clock rather than a a 100-year clock. 
If they don't change that, the cost of gasoline and natural gas is going to skyrocket Going back to your issue of affordability, would you explain that? Yeah, that's exactly why they use this calculation. They want to make the cost of gasoline and natural gas skyrocket so that no one can afford it. So, you know, the theory being we're all now going to switch over to solar and wind. But we just heard from Steve Forbes that it's not really going to work too well. well. I I mean, Larry Kudlow had uh, the EPA, the former EPA chairman, Wheeler, and his calculations is we could only probably have 20% of electric vehicles by 2050. So so how, how's the nicest way I could say? Somebody's full of crap. Yeah, and you know how much an electric vehicle is? They're full is? of crap. There it is. <laughs> by the way, you know how much it is? $51,000 to $57,000. How are you getting the average person? How can you afford that? It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll build in incentives. What they'll do is they'll tax other people and create a pile of money and then give money to incentivize people to buy things. But... I, I still, you know, there's a, a lot of technical problems with electric vehicles in the Northeast in particular. Um, I, you know, there's a there's a story about a governor of a Northeastern state who proudly bought a pickup truck and then had to be rescued by state troopers 12 times in like three months because it was in the Northeast and, and just didn't have well, the that, range. There's, there's simply, well, besides range, you don't have the charging stations. Right. And besides not having a charging station, there are real questions about whether there are electric fires. And when they have these fires... The pollutant that comes out is toxic. It's very dangerous. And the other problem with them is they explode. They put out the fire, which takes a long time for the emergency workers to put out the fire. Then they explode again on their own initiative one more time. There's no control of this. And they think this is the panacea for what? And then, and then we're at Cox, and then where does the electricity come from? Natural gas. Right. Of course. And, so, and who benefits? China. China benefits by pushing EVs right now with all the mining. I mean, that's the craziest thing. Well, you can and see what China, a, China's been doing in Africa has been a long game to try and develop rare earth play so that they can own this market. And real quick, Gov Patterson. Uh, there have been a, 149 lithium battery fires in New York City already this year. So crazy. Absolutely. Well, we need businesses to stay. We all love New York, John. You know, I mean, we want them to stay. Heather, thank you so much for being here. And please come back often whenever you're in the city. You always have space in our studio to get your voice out there and common sense. And and, uh, thank you. Uh, for what you do. Yeah, Thanks so much. Keep Thank up you. the good fight. You're and, terrific. And Cox, we all stand for truth, truth justice, and the American way. way. Thank you all. <laughs> Reporting from the Daily Planet building, we'll talk to you again soon. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.